commercial here than talk about my birthday. But uh, anyway, I, I got a few more hours. I can milk it, right? So, okay. All right, Mark chapter 7. We come into a new chapter this evening, and uh, we are moving. If you look at verse 1, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. We're going to have a contrast now. If you come back up into chapter 6 and verse 30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So we have the disciples with him, and uh, they have their rejoicing in their ministry. Uh, We had then the feeding of the 5,000, proving that the Messiah would provide for them. Then we had the walking, him walk on the water, which is the issue there now of the Messiah will protect them. And again, he's been training and teaching them in his absence. And uh, the dispensational things that are coming for the nation of Israel, which is the the wrath and the 70th week and the day of the Lord and the millennial kingdom, he's getting them ready for his departure, his absence, where they will then go in and do the early acts ministry and so on. And so they are his friends. Now in 7-1, here come his enemy, his foes. And now we have a kind of a contrast here where we're going to have his, his foes show up. And here in verse 1, 7-1, again, he's been with his friends, everything's been going great, and now the, the, public, the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which uh, came from Jerusalem. So here is an official delegation sent by the Sanhedrin, the legislative body of Israel, to kind of come up and investigate the Lord and his ministry. They've heard about him feeding the 5,000. They've heard about him walking on water. They've heard about him healing and doing all of this. So they leave Jerusalem and they go north into Galilee. And they're really up to spy him out, to investigate. They're going to interrogate him now. They're going to come in and they're going to deal and so forth. If you look there at verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandments of God, that ye may keep your own traditions. They're, they're going to come in now, and what we're going to see is we're going to see this adversarial uh, attempt here. They're, they're going to come up now, and they're going to come in, and they're going to try and uh, trip him up and get him and snag him in his words and so forth. So in the first 23 verses of the chapter, there is this, this wonderful display by the Lord against the hypocrisy of the vain religious system. In verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. And there, the Lord now, in, tw- in the first 23 verses, there, there is going to be a no-holes-barred blistering by the Messiah uh, of the religious leaders. He's going to come in. He's going to use satire. He's going to use sarcasm. He's going to, he just incinerates them. He, 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 he peels the, he rubs the fur on the cat the wrong way. 
And he does it because he's going to explain to them why they're doing what they're doing. They have missed the fact that they're in apostasy. They're blinded, and they're missing it. They think everything's good. They think everything is fine, well, and dandy, but they're missing it. So he's, he's literally going to demonstrate, here's what the heart of religion says. Here's what the heart of man really says. And he's going to just clean their clock out. And all of the stuff that you hear Christianity say about how the Lord is meek and mild and he turned the other cheek, not necessarily. Actually, the Lord never turned the cheek. I, I had a conversation with a man about 30 years ago, it seems like now. Well, today, yeah, about that. And he's like, well, you Christians, you, you guys just turn the other cheek. And I said, show me where you think the Lord turned his cheek. And, he, and he's like, well, I, he didn't know his Bible. And the Lord says that, but he doesn't do it. Paul never turned his cheek away. He always with, withstand and withstood what, who needed to be. He never bowed. And that's really what the Lord's going to do here. He's going to demonstrate his, here's how God, the Godhead, thinks about your religion, Israel. And so if you look at verse 9, here's the issue. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Full well. You guys are off in complete and total apostasy. And the reason for that is, is that ye have rejected the commandment of God. Verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition. See that laying aside, you reject it. In order to do what? To keep your traditions. In order to come in and to keep doing what you, what you really want to do. You don't want to do what Moses told you to do. Rather, they have circumvented that with the issues of uh, of their traditions over the over the years, the, the days, the months, the years, the centuries, and so forth, they have just polluted the Word of God. So when you think about what we're going to do here, and we're going to see, especially with the washing and the unwashed hands and so forth, when he says there in verse 8, Ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. When you wash pots and pans, that's an external activity. They're, so what he's doing here is he's laying out a, a, their, really their problem. And what they're doing to avoid dealing with their problem is you guys are more interested in the external stuff the external rites and rituals and ceremonies, the external washing of pots and pans and hands, rather than the internal issue of the heart. Because if you have the, so he, if you have the internal issue, and by the way, that's where the Lord is interested, is in the internal, the heart, the spiritual, then guess what you wouldn't be worried about? All the pot washing. You wouldn't be worried. Washing of pots and pans. I have to be careful. A couple years ago, I said, 
in the California conference, I said something about having a garden out back at the house, a pot garden, That's because that's what they're called when you garden in pots, and you know, and, and one of the guys there, he's like, you can't say that because he's from the Portland area up there. And I'm like, why not? He goes, because we grow pot in pots. And I'm like, you do what? You break the law? And he's like, he's thinking about pot as in marijuana. And I said, get, you know, and this is a grace teacher. I said, get your mind out of the gutter, dude. You know, you're not supposed to think evil of everything gets said. You're supposed to think well of people. And he just chuckled. So... <laughs> The washing of pots and pans and, and, and things of that. So that he's really telling them, you guys are interested in the external. I'm here about the internal, the spiritual, and that's thus the problem. If you look down there at verse 14, and when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you, and what? Understand. He's talking to the little flock there in verse 14. And he says what? You need to understand what that religious system is about. Verse 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That vain, that vain religious system out there is a, they're worshiping me, but they're, it's empty. There's nothing there because what are they doing it based on? That external activity rather than a heart issue. They have, verse 8, laid aside the word. Verse 9, they're over here doing their holdings or traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many. They have no idea about what the word of God really is talking about. So in verse 14 down to verse 23, he's going to make sure the little flock sees that about that issue about the vain religious system because what's coming their way in the 70th week? There is a religious system over here that they need to stay out of. Don't be a part of it. That's what that book, the book of Hebrews don't go back to the old, go back on, go move to the forward, to the better, and that issue of the better. So in 14 to 23, he's going to instruct, he's going to talk with the little flock uh, and so forth, and he's going to talk to them about the things that defile you are those, that ex external activity. That's the problem. If, by the way, if you look down at verse 18, and he said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart? And again, that's the, that's the push. The thing that's defiling them is not the external thing. It's really, it's really the heart problem. That's what's defiling them. So he's going to reveal the heart of man here. He's going to reveal the heart of religion and the fact that what religion tries to do, what man tries to do is a religious activity to cleanse the palate, to make them to gain righteousness with God, to find favor with God and so forth and he's just going to say ain't so. Then in verse 24 down to verse 30 we have this little gentile woman here. Uh, they call her the 
Syrophoenician woman in the, in the headings, but in verse 26 there, she's a, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she's a little Gentile lady here who's going to go and she wants to get a devil out of her daughter, and he's going to talk and deal with her, and she comes in, and he's going to tell her that the children need to eat first, and she's like, true Lord, but the dogs get the crumbs, so she places herself in the right order underneath the Abrahamic covenant, and he deals with that. And what dealing with her shows the heart of the Messiah, the compassion that he has for even the Gentiles who are in their position, in their place, underneath that Abrahamic covenant, which is designed to bring the blessings to the Gentile nations, but through the nation of Israel. And she does that. And then in verse 31 to 37, we'll see the deaf and dumb guy. And the, really, that is their problem. They can't hear. If you look across the sheet there to verse 16, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Well, they can't. So, what does the, so here then, as we saw the heart of the Messiah, now we're going to see uh, the, the, uh, him come in and deliver them once again and be the, the, the Messiah of deliverance. So really a wonderful chapter to, to go in here. It starts rough. He's going to tan their hides, if you will. And then yet it ends very gentle with the Messiah coming in and once again proving what Mark is proving. He's the servant. And there he is. So we're going to start out with the problem in Israel, which is, it, and, and by the way, it has to be dealt with in Israel. And that's that issue of the vain religious system. So verse 1, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come... From the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk, not thy, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashen hands? And that's the issue. They come to examine him. They've come, the leaders here. By the way, the Pharisees and the scribes are very fundamental. They're fundamentalist. These aren't the Sadducees. They're the liberals. The Herodians are the politician guys. These are the Bible guys. They know their Bible. And I think my personal opinion is Jerusalem send them because of that very fact. That if they're going to nail, this guy's saying that he's God, he's... <coughs> By the way, the Lord nails them on their Sabbath all the time because they had made the Sabbath into a religious ceremony. It was never intended to be that way. So they send, they send in the theologians of the day. If we're going to nail him, then we've got to have our best guys go and nail him. So they come and they question him. And they, they, they do this issue of, hey, why don't you have your guys obeying the traditions of men? Why don't you come in here and have them do what's needed to be done? 
and he's going to deal with them because what are they after? They're, they're using the external issue as their form of, of pr- proving that they're keeping the, the rules of the elders. Okay, They're proving that they are holy, they're good, they're just, they're righteous. And really, the issue here is the inward. When you live... When you walk, live life, go, and it's coming from the inward understanding, the spiritual understanding, that's where the outward then gets expressed. So the outward activity is an inward expression of what's going on in your heart. Religion says it's an outward expression of an inward faith. Well, that is the case. But the thing is here is we're talking about inward we're talking about external. These guys are using the religion. So hey, the Lord's looking at them going, look, you want to do that. By the way, he's going to nail them here in a, in a couple chapters. Who are they? Uh, what are they? They're white sepulchers, aren't they? They look good just inside their dead man's bones. Why? Because they're the father, the devil. And he's going to get them. So they're working outward, trying to find something inward. God works the opposite. He works inward, outward. And again, the manifestation of of the inward issues is an outward physical thing. This is true of you and I even today in the age of grace. The problem today is is you can't use that as the test of where somebody is. Okay? You can in Israel's program because that's part of their testing. First John, there's seven tests in First John. The last one is the issue of identifying who the Lord was. But if, you're gonna, if you think you're spiritual, if you say you're spiritual, and you come over here and do something that isn't, then you're a liar. You see, you can't do that. That doesn't work today in the age of grace. But it, the principle, the idea is, the, is similar. Because when you look around and you see somebody walking worthy of the Lord, Colossians 2 and 3, what are they doing? They're, they're putting on the new man. They're, they're in the renewed mind. They're not out doing and so forth and carrying on. But that doesn't mean that they're not a believer. These case here in Mark, they're, they, they're in apostasy. And that's where they're at. So the outward, by the way, the outward experience, uh, <laughs> if you've come, had any dealings in religion, what real quickly gets involved with that outward experience? It's called emotions. Feel good. Okay? And when emotions begin to anchor your thinking, and then emotions begin to anchor to whatever is happening around you. I was watching a thing on the TV. And yes, I do watch TV. Some of the best preaching material, illustrations, come out the goofy TV. And they were talking, they were, it was, uh, was late at night the other night, and it was one of those, buy one CD and get 500 CDs, you know, musics, except it wasn't the DVDs and stuff. It was actually a streaming thing that you could sign up for. And I'm like, why would I when I have, you know, iTunes and it's basically free? You know, anyway, and they were doing the, the audience, and they all got the, the flashlights or the, their cell phone lights, and they're rocking back and forth. And, uh, 
Well, that's what religion does to you. Now everybody's swaying and, you know, kumbaya. And we went to the Garth Brooks concert pre-COVID when he was in town. And, uh, (laughs) you know, he sings his, one of his ballads that he sings. And the whole place is lit up with cell phone lights. And I'm like, come on. But you know what happens? You get the feel good. You know, you get the goosebumps. Why? Because that's where the outward stuff works. It works in that emotion. So these guys, (laughs) that's what the Lord's going to do with them here. Now, what he's doing, if you notice in verse 3, at the end of that verse, holding the tradition of the elders, then down in verse 7, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8, ye hold the traditions of men. Verse 9, that ye may keep your own traditions. Verse, that issue of the traditions. Now, you have to catch what's happening here. Come over to Galatians 3. And Paul shines some light in on this because, once again, Paul is one of those great, he, he is... Such a tremendous, proper guy to be used by the Lord to do what he did with Paul in forming the church, the body of Christ, and then to go back over here, like we're studying in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and deal with the Jew, because he understands every bit of it. Look at Galatians 3, 3. He says to the Galatians, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the what? The flesh. Why would he say that? Because what does the religious system do? What does the traditions of men do? It plays in on that emotion, on the, the flesh. So in order to do that, in order to have the traditions of men, of elders, in order to have that fulfillment of the flesh, you have to completely abandon God's word. Because God's word is dealing with the internal So if you're putting in the internal, then the external becomes a a mute issue. You're not going to do. So then what do we have? We have story time. We sing for an hour, and we have a 20-minute little devotional ditty out of the book of something, and that makes everybody feel good. They think they've accomplished something, and off they go. And as the Lord talks here to Israel, go back to Mark 7. As he talks to Israel... Israel has allowed all of this tradition to come in and cover up God's word. Make it, verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. They, they have allowed the traditions to come in, cover up God's word, so they ultimately have abandoned God's word. They had it. They had the Word of God. It's just of no effect. It didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is because they were, fa- they were doing other things instead of doing what the Word said. They were coming in and they were, man- they were bringing this to do this and this to do that, and it just built up over time. So, verse 2. And again, this is what what Christ is going to do here. He's going to nail them. And he's going to do it because of that issue of the religious 
external religious performance. No, you need the internal spiritual issue. Verse 2. Notice this is what religion does. Verse 2. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. You know what religion does? Finds fault. Watches every little thing. I said it a couple weeks ago, we keep attendance, you know. And I I actually got a couple eye rolls, what, what, you know, about that. And it's, no, that was a joke because we don't do that. But we do notice when people aren't here, you know, and the thing is, is we'll check in on them, and it's not a, hey, where have you been? It's, hey, how are you? But religion says, where have you been? You've missed your your monthly tithe. What's going on here? See, that's religion. They come in and they find fault. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. So they go back. So they have added something in here. They've added a level, a layer. And that layer ha- has literally g- taken and just pulverized the Word of God. I will say, I'm thinking about it. You see that word wash? They wash their hands. That word wash in the Greek is baptismal. Our English word, baptism. When they were translating the scripture into English, we didn't have an English word for that was the word baptism didn't exist. So they took the Greek and they moved it right into English is what they did. So this issue of baptism. So if you ever hear anyone ever say, well, baptism is dunking, immersion, bring them to this passage and ask them about verse 4, how do you dunk a table? How do you dunk a table? I get the idea of dunking, you know, the pots and the pans because you can do that in the sink, but you can't do the table. What do you do to the table? You wipe it down. You wash it. So the word baptism doesn't always mean, it it, it really just means washing, a, a cleansing. And that'll we'll see that as we go here. So these guys, when you go back into Israel's history, this issue of traditions of the elders and so forth. Not all traditions are bad. So how did they get to this point where in the nation of Israel, the traditions of the elders and of men had completely taken over? Well, when, they go, when you go back into Israel's history, you begin to notice that over the ages... These have just been added to the word. Now, now, we're going to talk about traditions here in just a second. But when you are dealing with the external activity, okay, the word tradition just basically really just means this is how we do it. This is how we've done it over and over and over again, okay? How did you do it? We did it this way over and over and over again. So then what happens is, instead of getting into the Scripture and studying out why we do it, we just do it because we've always been doing it. One of the things when we started the ministry here was the fact that I was talking to a a pastor, a grace pastor, and I asked him, I said, if you could go back to the start of your church, 
what, and do something different, one thing different, what would you do? And he said, I would preach about giving on day one. We have people who haven't been here since COVID. They don't give anymore. Why? It's not in front of them on a weekly basis. It's not that they're, they wouldn't give or don't give. It's just not in front of them. See, why? We have a tradition, don't we? We give every Sunday. We, this is how we do it. And as I was talking to this man, I won't say his name because you might know him. And he's like, I would do this because the issue of giving is paramount to the success of the local assembly. Because it's a barometer. It's a fact. And he said, you know, what happens is, is people get in a habit, and this is how we do things. So there's some things here in the issue of the traditions in Israel's history where they started out right and good, and then they just developed, well, this will be, we'll do it this way, and then we'll do it this way, and we'll do it this way. They have developed specific details, specific ways of dealing with the external. This is how you wash a pot. This is how you wash a pan. This is how you wash your hands. This is how you dress. This is how you are. This is how you talk and, and so forth. And that's what just always focused in on the external. All the traditions do that. But yet what they do is they come in and they've made this external activity the issue rather than the word that may, might back up that issue. They don't focus here. They focus there. So you have this issue here of the tradition of the elder. Now, in Mark, the servant, he's presenting the Lord as the servant, and he's revealing the hypocrisy of the traditions of men. This is only, the, the only other place this is found is in Matthew. It's not found, this event here is not found in Luke or John. And Mark is more, is more severe in the cutting, uh, in, in the, in the hide tanning, tanning of the hide of the Pharisees, than Matthew is. So he's showing and demonstrating the hypocrisy of it. When, we say, when, when Mark in the Scripture talks about the tradition of the elders, he's talking about the elite, we would say, the one percenters in modern-day lingo. They're not... Remember the, remember the Pharisee and the publican in the, in the temple? And he says, I am not as that guy. Wouldn't even look at him, just point. Don't look at him, just point. That, that guy, you know. I am righteous. I'm fair. I tithe on the mint. I tithe on this. And that. get down to little things. That's the regulation. Why? He's privileged. I'm one of the elders. I'm one of the elite. That's who these guys are. And the Lord's going to take them down, a, not a notch. He's going to take them all the way down to the ground, okay? And off he goes. So let's talk quickly about traditions. Because not traditions, the word tradition is not a bad word, okay? Sometimes you'll hear people say, even in, in gray circles, don't use the word traditions because it's bad. But it's not bad. Come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just as the word religion isn't a bad word, okay? 
God, God set forth one religion, it was a religion he gave to Israel. In Scripture, the word religion is bad except for in one place, and that's in James 1, and it's called pure religion. <laughs> so when you think about this issue about traditions, again, it's something you do over and over and over, so it becomes this is how we do it. All right? Here, we have Sunday morning, Wednesday night. We used to have Sunday night, and we stopped, and I mentioned to get it back going again, really. And the thing of it is, is that is our tradition. Now, you think about why we meet on Sunday and Wednesday night. Because 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, our society, our culture accepted that church was meeting when? Sunday and Wednesday. Now, our culture today is fighting that. What happens on Sunday now? All the ball games, all the little kids stuff, all this, all that. Do you know that there was a time when nobody worked on a Sunday? And then if the, the only places open were those of necessity, grocery store, and they couldn't sell liquor on Sunday. And then it got to liquor before, alcohol before noon. And then it got 10 o'clock. I, I remember when I was working at Bash's, and this has been in the nine, back in the early 90s, they didn't serve alcohol on Sunday till after 12 noon. And it was a self-imposed rule, but that was the family rule. They weren't, we're not going to do, granddad would be rolling over in his grave, you know, so we're not doing it. And as, then as soon as, couple of those folks passed away, especially moms and aunts that were holding the line, you know, the, the patriarchs, then they went away. But so our culture is what established the issue of Sunday and Wednesday. So now it's, it's not really a tradition anymore. It's being faithful. And that's really what's been bugging me here of late about Sunday nights is if we have people who want to study, which we do here on Wednesday night, when we do Sunday nights, then now we're going to do something that's a faithful issue rather than a traditional issue. So when you think about the word tradition, don't run from it. Two Sundays, it's going to be Easter, a great family tradition time. Christmas, I, I say it every Christmas, go have your traditions with your family. You ought to have that time with family. You have great opportunity to talk about the Lord and the different things. But you have to ha have, those are traditions. Why in the world do we do what we do? Well, because great-grandma, when she came over on the boat, we did, you know, and you just, and you pass that down. So you have traditions. Mother's Day, have your tradition. Father's Day, ha why? Because you're with family. Those are important times. The, and, and I say that because they take our society, our culture, and it solidifies it, gets it back to where it's, where it's going. Now, look at 2 Thessalonians 2. I'll get back in the word. Look at verse 15, 2.15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Notice Paul says, I have given you some traditions, whether by our word or epistle. So if it's a tradition from the Word of God, then what is it? It's a good thing. Now, again, there's no verse that says you better have church 
on Sunday and Wednesday. The day isn't the issue, but the tradition is having what? Church, gathering together, getting together. There are, uh, when I was back in in Minnesota in September, they meet Sunday, but they meet Thursday. They don't meet Wednesday. Thursday's an easier night to get everybody out. So they meet Thursday. But you know, they've been meeting Thursday ever since the beginning. See? So there's, what is it? That's their tradition. That's their, so the Bible tradition of getting together and Bible studying is what we're doing. We do it Wednesday night because we've always done it. We do it Sunday morning because we've always done it. If we have to change, then guess what? We just make a change. But what are we being faithful to? The study. Being faithful to something isn't bad. Paul here, he, he has given some things to us, and you know what he expects you to do? Keep them. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions which he received of us. Now, this is a, we command you. <laughs> I, I read this and I go, wow, Paul, okay? He says, listen, I have given you a pattern. I have given you a standard of how to walk in life. I have told you how you ought to be living your life. Hold on to here. Look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. He's given us some instructions on how you're to live your Christian life. And you know what? When you see somebody that is a brother not doing that, what are you to do? Withdraw yourself from them. They're walking contrary to the doctrine. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. What has Paul done? He's given us the information on how to live a Christ, how to live, how to function, how to have Christ live in and out through our lives. And you know what he calls it? A tradition. Look, if you will, verse 2. For we know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now go back to 2 Thessalonians 3. So you know what? If I want to know how to live my life, who do I need to go read? Paul, he tells me. So then when I read that and I go walk that way, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, if, if you see someone not walking according to the tradition, then... Again, that pattern, this is how we do this. That pattern of activity that Paul gave us. If you don't, you're not to keep your withdrawal. You're to, you're to, you're, you're to uh, not be with, around that guy. By the way, if you all of a sudden said, I'm not going to be around you, what would they normally do? Why not? What did, what's wrong? Now what do you have? You have a chance to with meekness instruct them that oppose themselves and hopefully they recover themselves your job's not to recover them your job's to give them the information and they can willingly hopefully trust the word come down to verse 14 second thessalonians 3 14 
And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Again, our word, this epistle. Um, specifically, I, you know, Second Thessalonians 2 is a great chapter about people thinking we're living over under the Antichrist, and we're not there. It's a, th- this <laughs> Second Thessalonians deals a lot with the idea of, uh, of you know, the rapture is going to be down the road. It's not pre-trib or any of that. It's down over here, or it hasn't happened, or it's not going to, you know, it's all these weird ideas. And he says, what are you going to do? You're going to take the tradition that I gave you, the good tradition, what the Word of God gave you, and you're going to go over there and you're going to do that. So to have a tradition isn't a bad thing. Come back with me to Galatians chapter number 1. When he uses the term tradition of the elders, he's basically using He's doing what Paul did here in Galatians 1. Look, look, if you will, at Galatians 1, verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the what? The Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the, now watch, traditions of my fathers. That's not bad. I mean, that's not good. That's bad. He profited in what? The traditions of the fathers. So when the Lord uses traditions of elders, Paul says that's the Jews' religion. That's what that is. So that's that vain religious system that's based on the external. Come over with me to Colossians chapter 2. Here it is again. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians 2, 8. <clears throat> Paul again, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now watch. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, where do philosophy and vain deceit come from? The traditions of men, the rudiments of the world. That's where they come from. And not after Christ. So where do you get the life of Christ? From Paul, from the Word of God. Where are you getting all this other mess? External, out there in the tradition of men. Again, they've forsaken the Word of God. They've gone after human viewpoint, and it's a mess. I show you, Paul, you're in Galatians or Colossians 2, look down at verse 20, because we get in the same mess. We get focused on, the body gets focused on the external stuff, and the Lord over here is dealing with Israel and the leading theologians of the day, and what are they stuck on? The external, and guess, we, we do too. It does, it's nothing new under the sun. Look at Colossians 2.20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Now watch, touch not, taste not, handle not. That's what Mark 7 is all about, is verse 21. Verse 22, which all are to perish with after the commandments and doctrines of men. There's no vow. All of that, touch not, taste not, handle not, all that is external. 
and the issue is internal. Come over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't know if you read Peter much lately, but you ought to read him. 1 Peter chapter 1. Great verse here that gets misread. Well, actually, it gets read. It just doesn't get read all the way. <laughs> 1 Peter 1, look at verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. See, look, praise the Lord. Woohoo, look at that. Look at what Calvary did for you. And off the preachers go. And they never finish the verse. Because the what is the verse talking about them being redeemed from? Notice it doesn't it's notice what it says. As silver and gold from hell from the lake of fire, from sin. No, it says what? From your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers. Isn't that interesting? The vain That they need to be redeemed from what? That vain religious system. And that's what Mark, what Mark 7 is all about. So when you go back to Mark 7, again, the, ish, the traditions are okay. They're even better if they've got a biblical backing to them, okay? But the thing is, is these guys have left the biblical backing and have moved on to stuff that is just an external ceremonial waste of time, and the Lord is going to, he's going to get them. And he's getting them so that they would understand what they're doing because they don't even understand it. I said Sunday in the Romans 11 study that Paul is going to lay out, has been laying out in Romans 9, 10, and 11 to Israel, that they missed, they were blinded in their issue of blindness. They were blinded to the fact that they were in apostasy. They thought they were doing good. And Paul's like, you weren't doing good. You've been disobeying the word of God since day one. And yet, and here they are as well. So when he talks here about in Mark 7, the washing their hands off and the wash, unwashing hands and so forth, there is something there that started well. Come back with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Because you ha I want you to see or, or grasp or get an idea of when Israel... When the traditions of the elders became a got a hold and became really an issue, and in Israel, pre-captivity they were there. If you think about the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, those are groups that developed during and after the captivity. They were never there prior to the captivity. They didn't exist. You had patriarchs of the tribes. You had lead men, but you never had, and they would come together and work things out, and then they would disperse. You never had a, a legislative body coming out of the captivity. You do. So then what are they going to do? Well, we're going to take this and we're going to make it, but yet these, these issues here are something even grander. Now, in Daniel 9, Israel has been in captivity now 70 years. By the way, they go into captivity because of disobedience to God's word. 
And I prayed unto the Lord, this is Daniel, my God, and made my confessions and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. What do they do? Verse 5, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. And then he goes on and down and he describes what they've done. What did they do? We've sinned. Verse 10. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law. Now watch, even by departing that they may not obey thy voice, therefore the curse is poured upon us and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. That's what they've done. They, Daniel... And others are realizing the reason that they're in captivity is because what they do? They broke the law. They broke the commandments. They disobeyed God's word. So Daniel, what's he do? We need to not be defiled. It's, fanta- it's very fascinating to take Daniel 1. Look over at Daniel 1. In Daniel 1, Daniel sets the standard for biblical separation. Daniel 1, verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. See that? That issue of defilement. So Daniel set the standard for not not being defiled. Now, the guys in Mark 7 know this. That's why I said the Pharisees and scribes, these are the Bible guys, the Bible thumpers. They know that, and they understand that there is an association, a link between washing and cleansing when you're defiled. And in Mark 7, what are they? They're defiled. So what are they over there doing? They're washing their hands and stuff because they know that they are defiled. And they're trying to purify by this external activity. And God's word says you're not purified on the external, you're purified in the internal, spiritual in the heart. And if your heart was set right, then you wouldn't be doing this over here the way and the manner you're doing it and for the reason you're doing it because you would already understand you're, you're good. Okay? Now, throughout the scriptures, come with me to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. They, the Pharisees and the scribes, know and understand there's a link between being defiled and washing and cleansing. Ezekiel 36. Um, If you'll notice verse 25, well, verse 24, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. So we're talking second coming, talking about the regathering of Israel, moving them into the kingdom, verse 25. Before he does that, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Again, sprinkle water. In Scripture, that issue of water baptism, that's the connection here. The water baptism, it's either a pouring or a sprinkling. That's how it's done. It's not immersion. And again, anyone ever says that, just take them to Mark 7 and say, okay, how do you dunk a table? Because it's the same Greek word. 
So what are they doing here? There was a ceremony to do what? Wash and to cleanse. Come back to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus 29. There's a ceremony here in Ezekiel 36 that the Lord's going to do to do what? Cleanse his people from their idolatry, from their defilement. He's going to set them straight. Look at Exodus 29 and verse number 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them. Hallow, set them apart to, unto uh, them to hallow them to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and there's a sacrifice. And then in verse 4, and Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shalt wash them with water. So there's three things that are going to be done to that priest. They're going to be washed, i.e. cleaned up. They're going to be anointed with oil, and then they're going to be sprinkled with blood. There's a sacrifice there. But the point is, is a part of their hallowing, setting them apart, is a cleaning, a cleansing, a washing. So to come up with the idea of washing isn't wrong. There's a biblical backing to it. There's a biblical fundamental thing. The problem is, well, there's nothing in the book about washing hands before you eat or pots and pans or any of that, table, any of it. They have just said, well, if we're going to wash, we're going to do this, and then, well, might as well just do this and this too, and they just piled it on. Come back, come over to Exodus 30. By the way, Moses gives them the law. Exodus 30. He does, you see it really clearly all throughout Deuteronomy. He'll say, here's the law. Thou shalt not. Bam. And then he'll give a chapter or a section of a, the chapter to say, okay, in this circumstance, you do it this way. In this circumstance, you do it that way. And he gives what the legalese, the case law. Here's a case study. Here's how you apply the law. So what the elders do is they take the law and then they say it's to be done every time in this situation. No matter this situation, we always do this. So we take that pot and we take a rag. By the way, it can't be wool, can't be linen, or it can't be a mixed uh, garment. It's got to be a whole thing. So you get that old wool steel and you go to, and you clean and you go counterclockwise five times and then you go clockwise five times and then you rinse it and you are good to go. So what happens? One, two, three, four, five. Oh. One, two, three, four. Oh. One, two. See, you, you lose track of counting. That it, they just wanted to do what? See that you were doing this and then doing this. That's the issue. Okay? Look at Exodus 30. Again, they understand these things. The tradition of washing doesn't come from nowhere. All right? It's coming right out of Scripture here. Exodus 30 verse 20 Exodus 30 verse 20 When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation they shall wash with water that they die not or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord so they shall wash their hands whoops and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to them and to his seed throughout his generation. Uh-oh, well, there. wait a minute, Rick. There's washing of the hands. Yeah, but 
in what context? Not eating, they're going into the, the, um, the tabernacle. They're going into worship. They're going into the house of the congregation. It has nothing to do with eating. It has to do with the priestly activity. But by the way, you see this a lot with priests, because who is Israel? They're a kingdom of priests. This is why this stuff applies to them. So they've, they had a ceremony of, clean, of cleansing for the church. I'm sorry, for the nation. The Pharisees knew this. So the concept wasn't foreign. It was just that it became the focus of it all. So when you go back to Mark 7, it's, it's just fascinating here when you actually stop and read the verses. Look at verse 3, by the way. For the Pharisees and who? All the Jews. So it wasn't just the Pharisees doing this. Everybody's doing this. All the Jews believed. All the Jews were hooked up into the traditions. Now, you think about that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't get along. But on this topic, they're right there together. See, they have arguments. They have disagreements. But man, when it comes to the washing of the hands and the pots and the pans and the tables and all the other stuff, they're in full agreement. The problem here is that, they, that they're using a good idea. They've just polluted it out. Now, come back with me to Leviticus 22. Leviticus 22. Here's the only verse that talks about washing and eating in the same verse. Leviticus 22.6. The soul which hath touched any such th shall be unclean until even, and shall not eat of the holy thing unless he wash his flesh with water. That's... <laughs> That scripture is talking about who? The priest. He's talking about the priesthood. The only verse in the law about washing hands is to eat. It has to, washing your hands to eat, it has to do with the priest eating holy things. So before the priest would eat the showbread, what'd they have to go do in the laver? Wash them up. Then they could go eat the, not everybody eats the showbread. But what did, the tradition, what did the elders do? Everybody has to eat by scrub-a-dub-dub. Did you wash your hands before dinner? And if you don't, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. So they take the idea, and then they just pile on it. And they come back to Mark 7. You've got to get not getting anywhere near where I want to go. But you've got to see this because... They've taken a good biblical principle, and they have made it of none effect. That principle of washing is to teach about the priesthood. Now, yes, they are a kingdom of priests one day, and yes, they will do that. But what they did was, you don't, in only certain circumstance, the only circumstance of washing your hands before you eat in Scripture is Leviticus 22, and that's to eat the holy thing. There's nothing else in there that says after a hard day work in the field, you come in and scrub down, take a shower. 
So what did they do? They said, no matter what's going on, you're washing your hands before you eat. They said that one time, 2,000 years uh, earlier than the Lord. And you know what happened? It just became, this is how we do it. Until one day, somebody says, why do we wash our hands? Because we've always done it that way. And little Johnny, now get in there and do it. Okay. So then little Johnny grows up to be big Johnny and has a bunch of kids. And what does his kid say? Because every kid says it. Why do we do this? Because your grandpa made me do it. Now get in there and do it. And quickly we've left what? Well, the washing has to do with the fact that we are priests one day. And they've lost the biblical impact. They've made it into something that it shouldn't have been. The traditions don't start out, Mark 7, being bad and evil. It's just over time, what has man done to it? Made it into that. Again, the problem with legislating that you always wash your hands regardless of the circumstance is difficult because the circumstances change. So when you get into here, 7-4, and when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribe asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed? Why aren't you following the traditions? Why aren't you following the vain religious system? Now watch him answer it. We'll, we'll have to pick up here because the time's up. He answered and said unto them, Well hath he, I, Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And again, that's the issue. The issue is, as you guys are over here focusing in on the external, and you've missed the heart, real problem, and that's your heart's not right. You're in apostasy. Verse 8, he'll say, For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the traditions of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. And that's the problem. I'll give you one more on the washing. Go back to Psalms 26. You can, Psalms 26, you have David here. Psalms 26, a psalm of David. Psalms 26, 6. Psalms 26, 6. I will wash my hands in innocence. So will I compass thine altar, O God. That is a, David's not talking about washing your hands physically. Innocence is a spiritual issue. He's talking about a faith thing, a faith component. Come over to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1, look at verse 16. Isaiah 1, 16. Wash you, make you clean, 
Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. There's James 1.27 on the pure religion. Do this, don't do the other. Come now and let us reason together with the Lord. I'm sorry, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The external religious performance is designed to cover up the spiritual issue that they've got going on. And it's designed to cover up what the Word of God says they need to be doing. What do they need to be doing? Verse 17 and 8, they need to be doing the pure religion. And what are they doing? They're over here washing their hands. Come over to Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. I told you we were done and I lied. External, see? My heart was good. (laughs) Somebody's trying to get in the door, it sounds like. The wind's blowing. Job 9. Job 9. <clears throat> you know, it's a lot easier to, ru- to live by rules, do this, don't do this, than to go in and try and, and to go in and understand what God's Word says and then how to apply it to life like an adult, as an adult. You know, that's why Paul says you've got all wisdom, knowledge, and you've, it's all there for you. You just got to go over there now and get it out of the Word and go apply it to life. And, that, and people don't like that. That's why religion is so successful, because what does it do? Here's your list. Oh, cool, thank you. And oh, it's just in the wrong spot. Job 9, look down at verse 30. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean. So what's he done? He's cleaned himself up. He's taken a shower, not just one, but two. I was working in the side yard Monday, and I, got, I was dirty. And uh, Linda's like, you know, stop, go right to shop, you know. So I go in, and you know, and literally, you have to. I had to scrub my hands two and three times to get the, the spray paint off of them, because you know I spray paint. Forget, don't put gloves on. Why do gloves, you know? So digging them, and I'm like, I need a manicure, a pedicure, and a and a just new hands would work. So you know, what you in there scrubbing? Job says, I am as clean as I can get myself. Verse 31, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. I am as clean as I could physically get, yet when I come near you, Lord, I'm just filthy. Now, if they had paid, Mark 7, if they had paid attention to what the Scripture has been telling them, you know what they'd have known? they would have understood the spiritual reality of everything rather than trying to do something to mask it. So when you come back to Mark nine, Mark 7, the Lord starts here, and he's, he's getting after them about this issue of making religion, that religious external performance acceptance-based system the, and focusing in on that, rather than focusing in on what the Word of God's talking about and the internal issue, the internal obedience, that which is what he's after. So we'll pick up in verse 6 and get his answer and work down through that more next time. 
the thing here that, you, you again, we can take this and pull it into you and I today. We have the word. We have the information. We have to choose to study it, get it in there, and then go live it. But it's there. So whenever you read the tradition word, don't just go, oh, you know, understand what's going on. They had it. The, again, the, their traditions didn't start off bad or evil. They just moved it into that. By the way, when it says there, and many other things, okay, and many other things there be, he, that phrase is an inclusion of what you read all through the Gospels where they tithe on the mint or the anise, and they tithe on the little things, and, and they're over here taking the law, and, and um, I'm going to butcher it, but so I'll just paraphrase it into my own. You know, the kids are supposed to take care of mom and dad, but we're not going to make the kids do that anymore. The government will take the the government, the nation government will take care of mom and dad. Kids, you're free to go. No, that's not what the law of Moses said. Okay, the law of Moses said you take care of mom and dad. Okay, so they've done. That's when he when he says, "And there be other things also." That's what he's talking about. He's using the washing of hands and so forth. Because that's what they brought up. That's the topic. Now, by the way, as we go through, we're going to see the Lord violate their Sabbath day ritual all the time. <laughs> and the reason is, is what have they done to that? They took what it meant and they've chucked it and it's now something else. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the more evening. We thank you for the study and the word of God. We thank you for the insight that we can have into it. For your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.